0: So just so I can get a feel for where we're at individually, um, throw up your hand for me. A couple of questions about how this last week went for you. This is the week after Surf Home, a week after we were very active, all together, all the time. How many people were exhausted this past week? So anybody that just felt exhausted? Great, yeah, I think I'll put up my own own hand for that one. Uh, Were there any that were on kind of like a spiritual high, like a bubble sort of this past week? A couple, Okay. maybe even some of the same hands, fair enough. Um, Were there any that missed being around everybody on a daily basis? Kind of like missed that daily fellowship. Uh, These sort of aftermaths of those wonderful experiences we have with God can have a lot of different emotions wrapped up in them. We call them mountaintop experiences because so many times in the past, God has met with people on the top of a mountain. Moses on Mount Sinai, Jesus for the transfiguration, the list goes on and on and on. We're going to look at Elijah today. He had this encounter with God on the top of a mountain. So, these mountaintop experiences in our lives are places where God shows up in an amazing way. You know, you lay hands on someone and they're healed instantly. And you say, wow, the power of God. God loves this person and showed up today. You know, someone had been looking for something we pray for, the Redmonds this morning. And then God shows up and does something, it's going to be some sort of glory that shines in those moments. But then there's after the glory, there's after the miracle. And sometimes there's this like spiritual letdown, like, oh, back to work now. I'd much rather be surrounded by Christians doing home construction and feeling the joy of the Lord and worshiping every night versus going to the office with people that don't love God. And when I tell them my stories, they're like, yeah, that's nice, and they can't connect, they don't relate. Right? Or, or sometimes you feel like, wow, that was so great, but, but what's happening today? And the feeling starts to fade. One of the we've talked about this before, and so if it's a reminder, then I hope it can be that if it's the first time you've thought about this, then please consider the fact that although the Bible is filled with all these miraculous things from cover to cover, in the people's lives who experienced them, they often weren't a daily event. How many times did Moses and the Israelites cross the Red Sea? One time in a lifetime. How old was Moses when he began his journey following the Lord? It's like 80? Put it in perspective of our lives. Would you be willing to wait to 80 to have God call you into ministry to start then? So that at like 100, 110, or whenever it is, actually probably with age, probably around like 85, then you're going to have some of these Mount Sinai experiences. Then you're going to have the wilderness experiences. And what about the day after Mount Sinai or the day after the Red Sea? Are we, are we filled up because we saw what God did, or do we start to fade and wander like the Israelites did and grumble and complain because life is tough? And why isn't God doing miracles like that every day? So I would like to talk this morning about the aftermath, kind of like the spiritual hangover in a way that can happen after God does something really amazing. What do we do with that? And a lot of times when we pour ourselves out we find ourselves a little bit empty afterwards, a little bit tired, a little bit maybe frustrated. And it's in those weaknesses, actually, that our flesh and that Satan, our enemy, can work on us in the worst sorts of ways. When we find ourselves exhausted, our inhibitions are down, and our thoughts aren't clear. We find ourselves taken out of this constant Christian community. We find ourselves lonely. We find ourselves feeling separated Doesn't that feel like prime territory for all of our worst decisions and prime territory for Satan to get in there and work doubts and fears? It really is. It really is. And so we as believers need to know how to stand after the miracles. Pray for the next one. Maybe it's coming 30 seconds from now. Maybe it's coming a day from now. God's still at work. But we recognize he does special things at special times, and we're praying for the next one, and we're remembering the last, but we're staying close to him the entire time, because he's the one that's doing the miracles. So the closer we are to him, the better we are at listening, the more apt we are to hear where he tells us the next miracle is about to show up, and then we'll be there with him. So this morning is about listening, where God's taking us, where he's taken us. And we're picking up right where Josh Vining kind of left off. He was our speaker for this past week. He's the youth pastor for the Waters Church over in Attleboro. And I talked about Elijah. For those who were there, I'm pretty sure it was Friday night's message. Uh, Elijah was praying, and God brought the rain. He prayed, and God turned off the rain. Well, as a result of all of this amazing stuff that happened with Elijah, he found himself after the miracle. And what did he do? He listened to God. And what did he do? He went off to a quiet place and found the presence of God. And what did he do? He listened to God there. And what did God do? God said, I'm not done with you yet. So I would like to find encouragement for myself and for you in Elijah's story. I'd like to read large chunks of it together and just absorb it um, and see what it could mean for us, what we can learn from him, and how we can be excited about the next miracle that God's leading us towards as we step away and forward from the last one that he exhibited. So we are in the Old Testament We are in the book of 1 Kings, we are in chapter 17, and you're going to see both of these things. You're going to see shouts from God where it's just so clear what he's saying and what he's doing, it's just blatant. You know, when 12 churches come together and over 100 people and five sites, when all this stuff happens, that's a shout from God, and we get to kind of echo that this week the people we talk to, echoes of Serve Home. We get to repeat it, continue to tell God's goodness. But wouldn't it be sad if 10 years from now we're still just telling stories of Serve Home 2019? It's 2029, and we're just telling, oh, that was so good, that was so good, I remember that, oh, that was so good, that was... Was that, is this God's culmination of all the good plans he has for the people of Brockton and for our church, for those homes? No, not at all. But it's a place of intervention. It's a place of God manifesting His glory. So we revel in it, we enjoy it, and we look to see how God will keep working in us next. So keep your eyes on these things. I'm going to read um, some about half of 17, and then we're going to skip over to 18 and, and continue on uh, through uh, most of 19. So it's a long section, right? So maybe be reading this for five to ten minutes here. Because the story itself from Scripture is what is going to teach us. My explanations of it or clarifications of it are just that, making sure that we understand what the Word of God says. And at home, I hope you're reading your Bible for these times where you can absorb chunks of Scripture. I actually had the, the thought and it was something that I, I saw and then as I was considering it, felt like, man, that would be great too. Had the consideration that maybe for us as a church it might be a, a helpful and healthy thing too to read through the entire Bible together over this upcoming year because we need to absorb chunks of Scripture, not necessarily just a verse here or a thought here or there. So that's something that I'm praying about and I'd love for you to pray about with us. But we do need to absorb chunks of Scripture just to see God's truth at work. So would you just read along with me? Feel free to follow on your phone. There's Bibles under the seat. I'm in the ESV version, but whatever translation you have, this is not myth. This is not... um, Fable, this is history. This is what happened back in this day. 17 verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, who was the king at that time, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He listened. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that's east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. To just give a tiny bit of context in the book of uh, Second Chronicles, it talks about all these kings, the sequence of kings. A king rises, a king falls, a king comes to power, a king loses power, he's deposed, he's assassinated. There's just this whole tumultuous time in the nation of Israel. Ahab, Ahab, it says, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king who was before him. But if you back up and read the king right before him, it says, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. And if you back up one more time, it says it again. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king who was before him. So if you think about where Ahab is in this progression of evil, he's the worst of the worst of the worst, and yet he's leading the nation of Israel. The worst king that had yet been seen. And God says, I recognize the plight of my people. I'm going to send Elijah. I am going to show them that I love them. And I'm going to confront all their sins and confront this king who's in charge ahab or god so in verse chapter 18 verse 1 after elijah's had these experiences he stays with the widow god provides for them and for his son and for food so eventually we have this confrontation again 18 verse 1 after many days the word of the lord came to elijah in the third year so it's been three years now no rain saying go show yourself to ahab and i will send rain upon the earth So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel, the wicked queen, had cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah, took a hundred prophets and he hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So this is a man who loves the Lord. He's trying to protect God's prophets. So Ahab said to Obadiah, go through all the land, all the springs, of water, all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So Ahab thinks he's sending his messenger out to find good grazing pastures, But God is sending Elijah to meet with Ahab and Obadiah and Elijah cross paths in God's timing. Divine Appointment. Verse 6, So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one direction by himself. Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? He answered him in his eye, Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. No, but I, I said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he is not here, he would take an oath of that kingdom or nation that they had not found you. But now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will take you and carry you, I know not where. Then when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he would kill me. Although I, your servant, I feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? But now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here. He'll kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now when Ahab saw Elijah... Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? He answered, I haven't troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, you followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people. He said, he challenged them. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people didn't say a word. Then Elijah said to all the people, I, even I, only am left as a prophet of the Lord of Baal's Prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls, two bulls be given to us, And let them choose one bowl for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on wood, and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, who is the God who answers by fire. He is God. All the people answered, it's well spoken. Okay, we agree. Let's find out who's God. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bowl, prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bowl that was given them, they prepared and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, "Oh Baal, answer us, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah started mocking them, saying, cry aloud, like cry louder. He's a god. Either he's musing, like he's, you know, he's off thinking somewhere. He's musing, or maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom. He can't answer your prayers right now. Leave a message. Or maybe he's on a journey. He's just not right here, so he can't hear you. He's probably traveling. Oh, maybe he's asleep, and he must be awakened. He's just standing there, one man against all those, and just mocking them. So they cried loud. And they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on and on in time of, until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So this was a former sacred, sacrificial place. He put this altar back together. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the Lord, where the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. No, quarts and quarts of water. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. So they soaked it. And he said, do it a second time. And they soaked it again. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and it filled the trench also with water. Now at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench." Just incinerated the entire thing. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And he seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah turned and said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went. To eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. He said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time, his servant said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. There was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to you or do to me. And more also, if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid And he rose, and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey out into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Saying, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, I'm no better than my father's. He lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave. And he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. God said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore up the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. The one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha. And God continues the work that he had planned to do. After seeing God send fire from heaven, seeing all the prophets, the false prophets killed, you wouldn't think that the very next thing that happens is that he goes into a depression and just wants to die. you think he'd be riding high. When God calls him to meet, he says, this is what I've been doing, this is what I've been doing, this is what I've been doing. It's about me. This is where I'm at. These are my circumstances. This is how I feel. This is my fear. God doesn't even respond with answers to his questions because his questions are the selfish questions of someone who wants to stay on the mountaintop, feel God's power, and have it all obvious, all figured out. He steps off the mountaintop back onto the journey with God. And what God says is, you know what? I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. And it's not just about you. I have these kings in place. I want to use you to raise them up. You're not going to be the only prophet of God. I have Elisha chosen. Raise him up. Elijah heard the word of the Lord. There's going to be no rain. So he spoke the word of the Lord. It wasn't Elijah. It was God. Elijah heard the Lord say, go to this brook and I'll provide for you. So he went to the brook. It wasn't Elijah. He doesn't control ravens. It was God. And he listened. He heard the word of the Lord say, go to Zarephath, to this widow's house, and stay there. And so he went. He heard the Lord say, go to Ahab. We are going to confront him and show who's God for once and for all. He heard God say to him, set up this altar. Challenge the people. Just choose. Whose side do you want? Pick it. When he prayed, he said, God, show that you are God. And then after all of this, the success story, he hears that someone's trying to kill him. And what does it say? He became afraid. Heard that Jezebel had said this, and he became afraid, and he ran for his life. So then he called out to God in his fear. And God said, come away with me. Step away from everybody. Step into a quiet moment with me. <clears throat> Where are you, Elijah? Where is your heart? How are you? And he confesses. Here's my fears. He says, okay. How are you? He asks him a second time. He answers the exact same way. God's greatest thing that he could say to me, says in that moment, he's like, I'm not done with you. There's more. There's just more. And what you saw is a taste of what is to come. Will you listen to me? Will you follow me again? Will you not be afraid? Will you pray as much as you prayed then, those three years during the famine? will you pray as much now for the plans I have for the future of my people? The confidence you had when you walked into the king and told him there's going to be no rain. When you stood and mocked the other people, the confidence, that faith, will you walk with me in that same faith moving forward? And so Elijah obeys, and the next chapters are just filled with what God does through him in the future. Elijah isn't the hero of Elijah's story. God's the hero of Elijah's story. We are not the heroes of the serve-home story. God is the hero of the serve-home story. And when we step down off of that experience with God, if we say, look at what we have done, then we take that glory and we rip it out of God's hands. And I guarantee you the next thing that's going to come is exhaustion, depression, and fear. Because that's what it's like to try to do God's things without God's help. But if instead when we step off the mountain we go to a cave (laughs) and we just quiet ourselves down and we say, all right, God, here are my fears. What if the things that happened on Serve Home don't continue? What if the things you did in my life were just for that time? What if it's done? I'm stepping back into the real world now. What if it falls apart? If we just confess our fears to Him, we will hear Him say to us, I'm not done doing what I'm doing. So listen. Sometimes God answers with a shout, you know, fire from heaven. And sometimes it's that still small voice, it's just a whisper. But we're not going to go anywhere or be any part of it unless we know what God is doing. And just like with Elijah, he gives us little hints along the way. He doesn't give us the full picture all at once, but he gives us our next step. Gives us a vision of what his plan is, and it's good. So for us in this transition in our lives, where are we? Are we on a mountaintop? Are we in a valley? Are we in a cave? Are we back out on the road following where God's going to take us? What Josh read from was the book of James. In the book of James it says, Elijah was a man just like us. I think translation he used said, he was a human being just like we are. No difference between Elijah and any of us in this room. God whispers to you and says, go speak to the president of your country and tell him there'll be no rain in this country for three years. Then we obey because that's what God's doing. But we look at Elijah and we say, oh, my life could never look like that. Remember I mentioned before that when I shared the, the unity of the body of Christ coming together with a pastor this past week and how there was service and just a great fellowship and lots of them she just started crying? That's a God-glorifying moment. God wants his glory and will use us For his kingdom but not if we're building our own kingdom along the way so I think what I'd like to do for a couple of minutes here is just um, ask us to take a moment for reflection a moment for thinking on our own I have a couple of questions I just want to give to you now to consider for yourself consider first may I'll play the piano and just put some background music behind it then we'll close in a song with just a few minutes what part of Elijah's story do you feel like you are in right now? Is it the waiting for something to happen? Is it the being in faith that God's about to act? Is it in the moment of God's action? Is it looking ahead and not knowing what's going to happen? Is it a place of fear? Is it a place of confidence? We saw it all. I guarantee we're going to be in there somewhere. So consider that. Consider his story as a pattern that you can learn from. That's the first question. The second one, where's your cave? Where do you go to get away from the noise in your house, the ringing of your phone, the computer? Where do you listen for God? If Elijah had never listened to God, he would never have known what God was saying. None of these things would have happened through him. But this is what God wanted to do, so these things would have happened. Elijah just would have missed out being the one that they happened through. God's going to do what he's going to do. Jesus said, if you tell these people to be quiet, even the stones will cry out. But God chose Elijah. Elijah listened. God did what he was going to do. And then just like God still had future plans, I'd love for you to just think about what is God calling you to from here? What's the next step for you in the Lord? He's not done. He's not done with you. So if you can sort of wrestle with those things, feel free to even look back through the chapters that we read and just consider what it is that God wants to say to you this morning. we will just take a few minutes for you to listen. It's like all those times where we do like discipleship courses on prayer, but then we don't like sit down and actually pray. It'd be kind of ironic if we spent an entire sermon on listening, talking about it. So no discussion groups today. I challenge you to just ask God what he thinks about this. Ask him what he wants to say to you. And just listen for a little while. I'd be surprised that he shows up and answers. So, a little prayer, little reflection, and then we'll close with a song.